The reading this evening is from the prophecy of Hosea, chapter 2. Chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Angkor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I'll betroth to you, I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Amen. Good. Thank you, Howard, very much indeed. So I think most of you are aware of where we're going in the broad, broad scheme of things at the moment, themes relating to hope, uh, various topics in the morning, and touching on some of these Old Testament passages in the evening, just uh, at this period of time up to Easter. And uh, it was great to have Jonathan here this morning, wasn't it? I certainly appreciate his friendship. We've known each other um, for as long as we can remember, really, because we're vir virtually... Uh, the same age and kind of grew up together so our parents knew each other very well and uh, we were in the same church we were at times in the same school we were overlapped at college training for ministry and have kept uh, a lot of contact since so uh, it's one of those friendships that is very deep and very rich and uh, I'm truly grateful for Jonathan and uh, I think we all those of you who were here this morning felt the impact of what Jonathan was saying, particularly about hope uh, amongst those who have a disability and how we as a church can approach that challenge and uh, move forward from where we are already to an even better place in being welcoming and uh, in addressing those particular challenges that require perhaps breaking through the roof, doing something different and approaching it all in a spirit of humility and compassion, reflecting the pattern of Christ and the challenge in the New Testament. It's a great theme, and uh, I look forward to following that through because I'm quite sure that there will be one particular area, at least, where we can take some specific action that emerges out of this morning. It's always good that we don't just hear things, but we do something, and uh, I look forward to that coming about. And, and I think it leads us very naturally into this evening and for this evening, really, it's just a very simple phrase. Uh, try to make things so that it's fairly easy for you to access in your minds 
and uh, when concentration may not be at its highest, just something straightforward to hold on to. And in the book of Hosea, chapter 2, there is in verse 15 that very simple phrase, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of Achor becomes a door of hope. And really all I want to do this evening is to explain what this is all about and then for us to hear what it's saying to us tonight. The message of Hosea is a great one. It's an absolutely fascinating little book tucked away in the uh, Old Testament. It's really the first of what is sometimes called the minor prophets. They're only called the minor prophets because they're not as long as the writings from the other prophets. But they're every bit, every bit as important and every bit as interesting. And in the book of Hosea, Achor is mentioned, the valley of Achor, as it's the place where Achan was executed back in the book of Joshua. It's actually one of the first places that the Israelite nation set foot upon as they came into the promised land. As they crossed over into, uh, encountered Jericho first of all, then the valley of Achor just sits outside Jericho, uh, heading roughly in the direction of Jerusalem. Uh, it is an area that has been located today. It's usually called Wadi Kelt today. And uh, certainly if you're visiting Israel, it is a place where you can view from the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is now a tarmac road. And you can pull away on the side of that and just walk a little distance and take a view down the valley of Achor and see Jericho in the distance. Here's an image of it. And the stones that are placed there are basically just commemorating the story in Joshua where Achan was executed. But we're not so thinking so much about the story in Joshua today as the way in which in Hosea, uh, this same location is spoken of again, where the Lord says through Hosea, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And the word acorn means trouble. So I will make the valley of trouble into a door of hope. That's the message. I will make this place where there have been battles, where someone significant was killed, where there have been difficulties. I will turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. So the structure is very simple. We'll think for a moment about Israel's valley of trouble and how God was turning it into a door of hope. We'll think of our valley of trouble and how God wants to turn that into a door of hope. And then we'll conclude by coming back to Hosea himself and how he had to live out the message that he was speaking. So Israel's valley of trouble, first of all, what was causing Israel as a nation to be in trouble at the time of Hosea speaking? This was well after the incident in the book of Joshua, when the people first entered the promised land. We've gone way beyond that now. We've gone through the time of David as king. We've got a, a, a well-established uh, kingdom of Israel, which then, a little bit later on, fragmented into two sections in the north and the south. And we're thinking of the northern uh, kingdom, of the southern kingdom, rather. And as Hosea spoke into that region in his time. He referred back to this troublesome valley. He was using it metaphorically because this period much later in Israel's history, things had gone adrift. 
And the way it had gone adrift, I think, is that mainly the nation were compromising their faith in the Lord. Their worship had absorbed the gods of Baal, which is uh, the Canaanite gods, which were gods of fertility. Uh, they were gods that had a lot of ritual to do with them. And their worship had no longer been that pure and simple trust in the living God who had led them out of Egypt across the Red Sea, uh, provided the manna in the wilderness and so on. Instead, their worship had got muddled up with the gods of the Canaanites and with fertility rituals and all this kind of thing around the altars. And somehow they'd kind of blended that with the worship of the God of Israel. And that was not pleasing to the Lord in any way. And along with that idolatry and worship, there was some immorality in their behavior and the relationships were all adrift. And when it came to some of the pressures from neighboring armies, instead of trusting in the Lord, at this stage in Israel's history, they were looking for nations that they could nudge alongside as draw up an alliance with Syria or with Egypt who might be able to help them when they were in a difficulty. And all of these things were mounting up. And the reality is that judgment was inevitable. And it came in the period of time in the exile, which was not long after Hosea's prophecy. This judgment was inevitable. But in this passage through Hosea, the Lord was saying, I'm going to turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope. It's not the end of the road. And indeed, the passage that Howard read to us illustrates that beyond that time, the vineyards will be given back to the Israelites, that they will be able to live in peace, that names of the Baals, the gods of the Canaanites, would no longer be on their lips. Bow and sword and battle will be abolished. There will be peace. It was a promise of a life beyond. This is hope, isn't it? And this is our big theme of hope. That although the nation had failed, and although there was judgment in the immediate future, there would be hope. And God was turning the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, into a door of hope. So what about us? Where are you and I in this? When C.H. Spurgeon preached a sermon on this very text, he made much of spiritual backsliding. And he likened the valley of trouble in the time of Hosea to the valley of trouble of those who perhaps in their first faith were trusting God, but then began to slide away and other things began to take preference. He made much of the fact that this place was one of the first that the Israelite nation encountered in the land of Canaan. And that at that time, they had their first love for the God who had led them into that promised land. But later on, in the time of Hosea, that first love had gone and compromise had crept in. It's a bit like the book of Revelation and the church that had lost their first love. We might use the word neglect that there was some neglect in worship. Not giving to God really wholeheartedly that which he so deserves, which we express in words, in, 
in praise that words are inadequate to utter and in the very depths of our being crying out to God. Neglect may be in discipleship, in not just focusing at the beginning of each day on recognizing that day to be a gift of God, saying to God, what do you want me to do with this day? How am I going to live for you today? And how is that going to work out in my life, whatever it looks like? Neglecting faith instead of really trusting God when things are hard. Perhaps looking for the support of all kinds of other directions, which may or may not be helpful, but not really believing that God is able to accomplish what he has promised. And so our valley of trouble can sometimes come through our own spiritual neglect. But I think our valley of trouble can also come when other things come upon us, and it's nothing to do with what you or I might or might not have done in our Christian journey. But it might just be that something hits us, not of our causing, but it brings you into the valley of trouble, to a difficult place, an awkward challenge, a hurtful moment, a time and a place where you feel pain, a valley of trouble, maybe to do with your own life, a health issue, a work issue, or whatever. It may be to do with the lives of others with whom you have a significant relationship and strain and trouble emerges. And you feel yourself to be in that valley, not because of your own causing at all, but because of what else has happened around you. So we can be in the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, through our own neglect, or through the circumstances of other people, or maybe through the circumstances of the country and world in which we live, where, the, as it were, the big agenda brings its own pressure. I think we see that more in other countries than we do in our own at the moment, but as we're thinking of world mission tonight, those who are working in India, as you know, are feeling increasingly the valley of trouble that is coming upon them because of the government that is seeking to be most strongly Hindu and resisting anything by way of uh, people converting to a different faith. those who are working in the Middle East, particularly in the Arab communities, feel immensely the pressure that is put upon them. Their valley of trouble will not necessarily be anything to do with their own spiritual journey, nor to do with their personal circumstances. It'll be due to do with the bigger picture of the context in which they live and work. But the point is that whatever the valley of trouble, there is always a door of hope. This is the message of Hosea, chapter 2 and verse 15. This is the word that we need to hold on tonight, where the Lord says, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make that difficult place a door of hope. And I don't think it's a door that's just ajar. I think it's a door that's wide open. I think that's what expresses the heart of God, that the door is wide open to turn that moment of trouble into a place of hope. Israel's valley of trouble became for them a door of hope. Now, the way that hope was carried out 
in the later part of the history was partially in the return of the exiles back to their homeland and the re-establishment of Jerusalem. But that fulfillment of hope was only in a small part there. It was in a much bigger part with the coming of Christ, and it will be in an even bigger part when Jesus returns. And so we are still seeing the working out of this promise of the door of hope for the people of Old Testament times. And in the same way, God is still working out the door of hope that he's wanting to bring to you through the valley of trouble, whatever it might be that is in your mind at this moment. And then what really nails this story is that Hosea is not just asked to talk about it and given this message from the Lord to say to the people that I will make this valley of Achor into a door of hope. But that actually Hosea had to live it in an extraordinary way in his own family. And some of you will know that this passage in Hosea chapter 2 is sandwiched between Hosea chapter 1 and chapter 3. And those two chapters talk about Hosea's marriage. Talk about his wife and his family. And the story begins when the Lord said to him, So Hosea, this is chapter 1 and verse 2, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. It's extraordinary. The Lord said to Hosea, go and marry someone who is known for her promiscuity, who will be unfaithful, but go and marry her and have children. So he did, and they did have children. And then she did go off with other people. That's chapter 1. And then chapter 3, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is adulterous, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. And so Hosea went back and reconnected with this person who he had previously married. And by extending that grace, that phenomenal grace in that moment, he was living out what was going on in the the Lord's heart. Because as far as God was concerned, the nation Israel had been promiscuous. They'd gone after other gods. They'd engaged with the gods of Baal. They'd been compromising on their faith. They'd sought alliances with other nations. And in all these ways, they had missed what God was calling them to do. But God was opening out his heart wide to these people and saying, come home, come back. And I will turn your valley of trouble into a door of hope. And he didn't just ask Hosea to say that. He asked Hosea to live it in his relationship. And that's what makes this book such an extraordinary story in the Old Testament. And that's what makes turning the valley of Achor into the door of hope such a powerful word to us today. Here is the heart of God 
He's calling us back to him. Whatever your valley of trouble that might be in your minds just now. God is giving you and me a door of hope. And he's calling us back. His heart is open. His door is open wide. So the way we might live in faithfulness and in true Christian hope, our valley of echo becomes for us tonight a door of hope.